This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. What a busy, busy day I've had, and I apologize uh, if I was a little frazzled uh, yesterday. I'm glad to be with you. Thank you for tuning into the Pro-America Report. Let me give you a couple of things to check out. If you go right now to the YouTube channel for the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, that's where we put the nearly six hours of videos of our incredible collegians event that took place uh, on, uh, let's see, Tuesday night. I'm getting my days wrong. Tuesday evening for almost six hours. Everybody from Senator Ted Cruz, who was phenomenal, uh, Congressman Louis Gober, Todd Bensman of the Immigration, of the Center for Immigration Studies, all kinds of things. Br- Bridget Van Means, it was amazing. Hans von Spakowski, crazy, wonderful stories. General Mike Flynn uh, and Seth Dillon, the CEO of the Babylon Bee, finished off things. It just was extraordinary. So I hope you'll go and tune in. Go to you, go to the YouTube channel for the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles and tune in there and check it out. And you, you can move around pretty quickly in the next day or two. We will have released uh, of the... Um the audio tapes, excuse me, the cuts of the different uh, videos. So we'll get there. It's not quite yet, but uh, we'll be we'll get get there pretty quick. All right. So that's uh, that's a wonderful thing, and I hope you'll check it out. I'm really excited about it, and really proud, proud of the great work the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Go to phyllisschlafly.com to find out more there. Okay. Now don't forget the Pro America Report. You can go over to proamericareport.com and sign up for the daily emails, uh, daily wink. It goes out Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. West Coast time, 8 a.m. East Coast time, and a uh, little uh, programming note, I'll be filling in for Andrea Kay on Friday night, filling in on her show Friday night, which is exciting. She is on sabbatical. What is it? It's on assignment is the phrase they use when somebody's away. So I'm excited about that. Okay, let's talk about what you need to know today in terms of Joe Biden's trip to Europe. And the question should, that should be on your mind is, does it matter that Joe Biden's trip has been sort of stumbling and fumbling. Does it really matter? Should you be worried about the fact that he messed up Libya and Syria? Should you be worried that he was sort of pulled along by Mrs. Biden? Should you be worried that uh, like five or six or seven times he said, ah, I don't want to answer, I'm going to get in trouble, as if he's, you know, kind of out away from his caregivers? Any of, does any of that really matter? Should it matter to you that he said to uh, Putin, someone asked him, do they trust, do you trust Putin? He said, yes. And then an hour later, his national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, comes out and walks it back. Does it matter? And the short answer is we have really good institutions in the country that hold us in sweat and hold us strong. But yes, it does matter. And it matters dramatically. So now let's contrast these. When Donald Trump went to Europe, he certainly was blustery. He certainly was hostile to some. He certainly shook the box, as they say, and made people wonder what was going on. All kinds of that. It's all true. You can't deny that. But what he did show was unbelievable uh, energy, vitality, intensity, and the intensity of vitality was all in one direction. What was the direction? It was, I am going to assert America's rights over what they're due. And and a lot of the Europeans were like, hold on, we're not quite used to this. We usually get whatever we want and we don't have to fight for it. And this is weird to us. And that was the reaction. That was a clear reaction that you saw. And so, you know, you have to, the contrast, now contrast to today. 
there was a sense that um, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to get along. Iran, we're negotiating with them. Um, we want uh, peace in the Palestinian front, and uh, you know we're not going to say anything bad about uh, uh, Israel, but we're not going to get excited about uh, Netanyahu. And we're in fact we're going to probably celebrate he's leaving. We're going to, and it comes to uh, China. We're going to say a few things, and we'll have a little communique that says some hard things. But in general, we're going to change our policies back to the old way that we did things. That's what you see. And what it looks like, again, direction, I think you heard me say in the fall about um, polling. Polls are really lies now. They're like fake news. But the one thing you can use polls for is to tell you the direction of something, the way it's going. So if you see like, a, you know, um, the, the, the trend line can give you some sense of maybe how things are moving. You can't really trust the truth of it. But so that's that, and that, that's what I say about polls. And the same thing is true in a certain sense with the public perception and the and the interaction with other nations. When the Germans sign a big deal to buy a ton of natural gas from Russia and create a pipeline across Europe, the Nord Stream Two, which Trump blocked because he thought it wasn't a good idea. But he said, you know, and, and Biden lets it go. And actually, I don't have a, much of a, of, of, a, of a feeling either way, uh, in a sense. But what I do know is this. Uh, uh, Germany gave us nothing in return. They need it. And they gave us nothing in return. They didn't say they would pay more of their NATO debts. They didn't say they would do anything. So, you know, Germany's like, look, we get what we want. And we get everybody uh, talking nice to each other. And we get uh, this, this adult uh, Biden wandering around, bumbling around. This is a pretty good deal for us. And so now we have a situation where who's in charge? And this is where you have to just read the, the, uh, the tea leaves of the coverage of things like the $100 million the Department of Justice is putting towards identifying and fighting domestic. The greatest domestic threat to the domestic uh, America, is, is, in their mind, is, is uh, violence, domestic violence, especially from white supremacy. Now, just give yourself, just have a thought experiment. I said this last night with uh, Congressman Pete Sessions. Just a thought experiment. Do you, if you're sitting there, you say to yourself, I've been watching things, I'm checking the news out, I'm a pretty alert person, you're listening to this program, so you're, you're pretty alert about things, and you're like, you know what, let me, let me say, what, what, what is it that I care about, and how, do I, how am I going to identify what the threats uh, to me and to my family are? I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say, you know, I, I live in um, San Diego or I live in L.A. Um, I'm worried about threats. What threats? Well, Islamic terrorism, there's still some of that, but it doesn't feel too bad. Um, there's violence in our cities. That doesn't feel, you know, that feels somewhat bad depending on where you live. I don't know. Maybe I'm worried about the economy. I'm worried about China. I'm worried about different things. But in terms of demand, do you, does anyone... Does anyone who's not watching CNN and being fed the CNN narrative... Does anyone that you know say, oh, you know what? What's really a threat to me, what I'm really feeling is the domestic threat of white supremacy. It looks like there's a lot of white supremacy violence around. I really got to worry about that. Does anybody do that? I don't think so. I don't think so. So my point here is who's in charge in America? We have people that are in charge in the White House. It's clearly not Joe Biden. Now, I would argue that no president is really in charge. The government's too big. I mean, let me say it differently. No president's in charge of all the levers of power, but they do give a direction. Does anybody think that, um, that uh, Donald Trump wasn't in charge? Of course not. And when things would happen that he didn't like and he was in charge, he'd just make them change it back. He would just change his mind. And people would say, oh, how can you do that? And he would be like, I'm not listening to the bureaucrats. I'm not listening to anybody else. I'm just changing my mind. I'm changing the position. Right now, what you can see with the size of government so big, 
that there's lots of people in charge of lots of levers of power, and you don't get a sense that Biden is going to buck any of them. Now, why? Is it because, as I've said before, Susan Rice is in charge? Probably a part of it. Is it because Biden doesn't really, he's never really been an executive? I think that's right. You know, he's never, if you're on a staff, a Senate staff, you really have about a 10-person staff. There's more on the staff than that, but the senator doesn't deal with uh, the people down the hall that do uh, constituent services. He deals with the chief of staff, two or three deputy chiefs of staff, a general counsel, three or four others, maybe some committee staff. You're not really a manager. You're not really a manager of a sophisticated... Now, you, someone would push back and say, well, Donald Trump, at the height of his, uh, his um, uh, empire, he had only 150 staff. Yeah, but when you're managing multiple entities, meaning you've got one guy doing real estate, one guy doing uh, uh, partnerships, one guy doing endorsements, one guy doing TV, you've got a lot of different parts. And, you know, it's one of the ar arguments, I think, that is compelling for why governors... George W. Bush was like this. Even Bill Clinton have a better time at understanding the job because it's half politics, your candidate for president, and half management, and it's tough. So who's in charge? And what Europe knows right now is Joe Biden is not a strong leader. He's not a strong leader towards them, and he's not a strong leader in our own country, and they see that. And you see the meeting with Putin. It's just as a blah. It's nothing. And you, you, there's nothing about the meeting that Putin's thinking, oh, wow, this guy's dynamic. The only thing that I would say that people in the world are wondering is if Joe Biden is going to completely be like every other swamp creature, you know, the kinds of rhetoric, the kinds of dynamic. You know, he's gone back to Iran, said, let's make a deal. He's gone back to the UN and said, we want to do all the same stuff we did. He wants to go back to the Paris Climate Accord. He's going back towards China saying, we're really mad at you, but we're not going to do anything about it, really, which is what every other president did before Trump. They all talked a big game and they did nothing. So the question is whether, is, is, you know, in their mind, is, is he going to be totally swampy or is he going to do something different? And remember, if things start to go bad in America politically, like Bill Clinton, I mean, he bombed places. He, he, you know, he's not a, uh, if, you're, if you're crass enough to use the system, the governing system for your political ends, which it looks like that people are, it necessarily, it's going, we're going to see something, right? So it is a major challenge. It is a major embarrassment. Now, I want to say something else, though, about this. I want to do a little bit, I want to be a little bit generous. There's nothing like the Klieg lights of the modern time. And so when you see the, you know, Ronald Reagan, Gerald Ford, John F. Kennedy, you know, Eisenhower, if they had had 24-hour news in the era of Eisenhower, who knows what we would have seen. So it's really a hard bar now. And in some ways, because what happened to Trump was the media went so over the top, the... Um, the right-leaning media feels like they have the authority to do the same thing. And so we're seeing sort of the underbelly of, uh, of the media, you know, pushing every angle and every failure and all. And so it's, it is unbecoming, and it's hard to judge uh, clearly how, how, you know, how much, how out of touch is Joe Biden compared to Carter? How, you know, was Ronald Reagan in his seventh year, you know, slowed by all the intensity of things? You know, the people get worn down. But I can just tell you, the impression in the world is not a good one. It is not a good one for America that this is the man we have out front, and they know it. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back in a moment. And don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign up for The Daily Wink. We'll be back in a moment. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be right back.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with our old friend, Dr. Ted Malik. He's got a new piece up over at AmericanGreatness.com. This one made me smile, and I forwarded it on to about five different people. The headline is, America has long had a racist political party, and we'll get into that in a moment. Of course, Ted Malik is a well-known uh, author. Uh, he's uh, uh, He leads the Roosevelt Group. Uh, his full name is Theodore Roosevelt Malik, and his uh, 18 books he's got, with the last one that uh, about Trump the plot to destroy Trump. Uh, welcome back, Ted. How are you? I'm very well. This this uh, piece that I wrote has gotten a lot of attention. The former speaker <laughs> just sent it to every Republican in the House and said, "Use it." Uh, wow. You know, this is uh, we're talking. This piece is about the racist party and the Democrats. I just want to point out where I live now that the Commonwealth of Virginia is now set up. The Democrats had a primary earlier in the week and that, you know, the great party of the Democrats of, of uh, inclusion and all. They put a white guy in his 60s at the top of the ticket and two more white people. One's a woman, but no people of color. And the Republicans nominated one white man one black woman and one Hispanic uh, man for the top of their ticket. So who's got a more inclusive party? But more importantly, Ted, because you've written on history, you've written well, history books. What, t- t- tell us the history of the none of the at least none of the candidates <laughs> were blackface this time. <laughs> no, they did actually. No, no. The one that the one that won attorney general is the guy that wore blackface. He admitted it that the attorney oh, general has good. been renom- renominated. His name's Herring. He actually admitted, you know, Northam said, I'm sorry, I was in the picture that the governor and it, he never admitted whether he was in blackface or the KKK outfit. And then he just never talked mm-hmm. about it. And the media never let him do it. Herring actually said, yeah, sorry, that was me at UVA when I was in college. I, that's me in blackface. He got reelected. He go. beat an African mm-hmm. African-American delegate, a young man. Democrat ran against him and the and the Democrat Party in Virginia picked Herring, the guy. So but back to the point, the history of the part one party in America is racist. Walk us through that, Ted. Well, if you go to the donkey website or Wikipedia or all these other prejudicial sources online, like the Southern Poverty Law Center, you would never hear anything about what you and I are about to talk about. It's, it's not a secret. Lots of historians, noted ones, have written about it at some length. But the left and the Democrats don't want you to know this. They obscured the facts. They tried to rewrite, basically whitewash their version of history. And that's because the Democratic Party was founded and stayed and still is a racist political party. It was their political philosophy, their public policy, and all of their candidates came out of that background. So I go through grainy detail. In fact, I've had so many emails on this, I can't tell you. I have school teachers emailing me saying, I've got to make this article mandatory reading for my students. They haven't read anything better since To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> uh, the, well, walk us through it. Andrew Jackson is the founder of the Democrat Party. What was his deal? Admit it. Well, he's an ardent racist who owns slaves. I mean, not everything was wrong with Andrew Jackson. He was obviously a great general. He made a fortune in the cotton industry, entirely based on uh, slaveholding. And he had, a, I mean, a very low view of black people. <laughs> I mean, you just need to read what he said. But leading up to the Civil War, the Democratic Party had only one platform, keeping slavery and the plantation economy intact. In so you know, just walk through this this history about the sectional uh, conflicts, about the Kansas-Nebraska Act, about the Democratic Party, about suppressing the interests 
you know, of, of, of other uh, political entities. Now, during the Civil War, the Democrats controlled the South, obviously. They fought the Civil War as Confederates to perfect, I mean, to preserve uh, slavery and that, that way of life. The Confederacy never had another political party because all of the Confederates were Democrats, all the governors, all the generals, <laughs> all the leaders of the South. It was a war of succession. It was a Democrats' war of succession. Why do we pin this on them? Why do right. we just roll over? Why do we roll over? Yeah, it's a, it is interesting. And we're talking with Ted Malik, and he just mentioned that uh, I assume you said the former Speaker of the House. You mean Newt Gingrich, not Paul Ryan necessarily. But uh, your insight, your insight on uh, why do we fight back? I mean, you know, you look at your piece. Uh, the, the the Dixiecrat Democrat. This is this is in eighteen hundreds. In the, in the nineteen hundreds, you had people like then Democrat yeah. Strom Thurmond, right? We, and the Robert Byrd. These people were they're, they're at their right s- up until the nineteen sixties, seventies, eighties. I would say it's current even today. And I mean, my basic thesis is the Democratic Party prospers on the votes of the very people it has spent its entire history oppressing. And we right. know all the names and, of those people, and one of them is Joe Biden. Well, and that's the other thing is, I, you know, what I have to say, when you watch in Virginia earlier in the week, they nominate Terry McAuliffe, you know, white man in his 60s, and the Democrats nominated Joe Biden, uh, you know, a white man in his uh, late 70s. Basically, the Democrat Party keeps telling constituents, hyphenated constituents, that they're for them, and then they never give them a chance to be in charge. No. No, no. I mean, how does I mean, that? This history is very, very powerful. It's very powerful. Why don't the, Why don't the Republicans Klan fight back? Was founded by the oh, Democratic no. Party. It was founded right. by them as a vigilante group to mobilize a campaign of violence and terror against the progress of Reconstruction and the Republicans. Right. So, so why, why, Ted? You observed it, it was the first yeah, yeah, white no. extremist, you know, yeah, yeah, but so, so was let me, so, tied so, to the Democrat Party. But so, Ted, you've watched politicians up close. You know half of them, or more than half. You probably know most of them. Why don't Why don't they fight back on this? Why do Republicans, for example, I, just I don't they know. never why take the lead? Don't we have any backbone. I mean, there is a rare one here or there, and then we have somebody who stands out head and shoulders amongst the rest, named Donald Trump. Why don't they get a backbone? Jim Crow allegations, right? All the rage today. Well, the real right. thing originated with the Democrats. It included all those abhorrent practices, racial segregation. I mean, Jim Crow was the minstrel routine that mocked black people. It was the Democrats' designation for segregated life. I mean, why don't we uh, say the truth, the history? Ted, do other countries, do other nations have uh, struggle with slavery I, mean, I guess maybe they don't have this sort of African American, the blackness as a characteristic, or maybe mm-hmm. where it was not as clean. Is there is there a similar struggle? I mean, in a way, you have to admire the Democrats. They've been able to take their worst attribute, blame it on somebody else, and everybody buys it. I mean, in other places, they don't get away with this. Yeah, I mean, and there is no other American. Uh... You know, equivalent to Canadians obviously didn't have slaves. I mean, there was slavery. I mean, just, just to get the record straight, was 
predominant in the world for all of history. So the North American slave trade is basically a minor footnote in the history of slavery. Now, a more interesting question is there are more slaves today in the world, if we're talking about sex slaves, child slaves, indentured servants, than there were at the time of the original slave trade. So we've done nothing to advocate that. And I would say the Democrats have done nothing on their part. I mean, when you look at the list of the, of these Democrats who are their, you know, their most famous oppressors, we can go over the list. Bull Connor, George Wallace, yeah. the Dictocrats. Right. Uh, I mean, look, look at Strom Thurmond. Look at look at Senator Joe Biden from the slaveholding state of Delaware and his best friends, Democratic Mississippi Senator Democrat. James Eastland, Democratic Georgia Senator Herman Talmadge. These are demonstrably racist, and they're his best buddies. Joe said in the campaign, this was last year, we didn't agree on much of anything, but we got things done. Joking, he said, (laughs) they never called me boy. They always called me son. Yeah, the uh, wow, the uh, it is true, you know, and also I, I, I don't know why when we get asked about the Civil Rights Act, that we don't say, wait a second, the Republicans are the one that forced it through. Don't don't. You know, when when somebody I remember Rand Paul, when he was running the first time he got caught and they said, well, you know, will you uh, I guess it was re up the Civil Rights Act. And he had some answer that he wasn't ready for. But, you know, it, it was the Republicans. The Democrats were actively filibustering the Civil Rights Act for years. And it was Republicans the that finally pushed it through history, the longest filibuster in Senate history. Uh, I mean, you know, over two days long was was conducted by senators. Uh, Strom Thurmond to stop that act. It was the Republicans who voted with the Northern Democrats in order to get the voting right and the Civil Rights Act passed. I mean, it's I don't know why we don't take credit both for Lincoln (laughs) and for what we did and actually just point out who these Democrats were and still are. I mean, when you talk about senators like Robert Sheets Byrd, what sheets do you think (laughs) they're talking about? Right, right. It is amazing. All right. As always, Ted Malik, you're ahead of the curve on this, and I'm glad that it's being passed around. The piece, again, is at amgreatness.com, American Greatness. America has, a lo- has long had a racist political party, and then Ted Malik goes through the Democratic Party, po- prospers on the votes of the very people it's spent much of its history oppressing. Thanks, as always, Ted. We appreciate your time. Good seeing you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. This is a really uh, great, I'm happy to have this interview because uh, I have been telling the listeners, uh, Erica, for a while the, of the value of the NRA. I know this firsthand because I was a candidate in 2010 for Congress, and I also ran the Republican Party. And I would say to people that the NRA knows what they're doing. And what does that mean? Well, they care about the issue. They know the issue, but they know how politics works. And so the NRA is educating about what the issues are. They're understanding what legislation means, but then they know how things work and the affiliated groups know how campaigns work. And it's really valuable. And I believe 2020 was dramatically disadvantaged by the fact that the NRA was dealing with lawsuits and targeted by the attorney general in New York. And it's not why I brought our next guest on to talk about that. But I mean, here we are. Her name is Erica Turgeson, and she is a senior advisor for the NRA. Uh, Welcome, Erica, to the program. How are you? Well, Ed, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for all you do to defend and protect the Second Amendment. 
have to say on behalf of our 5 million members, we greatly appreciate it. Well, you're nice to say, and uh, I, I think it's um, it's obviously we conservatives have to understand what's under uh, attack and what's happening. Uh, but I really think, uh, and I encourage you, and I, one of the reasons I reached out to Erica was my old boss, uh, Governor Matt Blunt from Missouri, has worked with the NRA for years. And I said, man, we got to keep helping because you're really being targeted. I mean, I, we, I go through it all the time. It, we are in an era where lawfare is now like a regular, you know, kind of fair at the at the uh, when you go to to food. It's like a you know, it's it's a crazy what's happening. So, but I want to talk to you about what's going on with the gun control agenda, because in the midst of all the puff coverage of Biden and all, there are things happening. So first of all, tell me in the first months of the, of the, of the Biden administration, we haven't seen specific legislation yet, but that doesn't mean there's not lots of things happening. Can you talk a little bit broadly about what you're seeing? It's all started basically in the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives passed two bills already. Um, they're both waiting at the desk in the Senate. They could be taken up right. any minute that Schumer decides to take them up. Um, probably the most likely of those is the so-called universal So, Erica, maybe we're cutting out a little bit. Give me that. What's the piece of legislation that's the most likely you started to mention that could get to the floor or could become a, a floor fight? Sure. This is the universal background check legislation. Oh, right. And right, right. what you need to know about that, it's so-called universal background check, because we already have background checks in the United States. Most of us know if we purchased a firearm that we've gone through that system already. Uh, but what this right. really means is you would have to register each and every firearm in America to be able to enforce universal background checks. And that's all you really need to know about the bill. It right. also makes it illegal to transfer to a neighbor if they needed to borrow a firearm, a family member. Um, if you had somebody that was having a hard time, um, maybe a little bit suicidal and said, could you please take my firearm? Legally, you would have to tell them no. So it's very extreme right. legislation, um, and it would really change gun ownership in the United States. All right. And we're talking with Erica, excuse me, Erica Turgeson. She's with the NRA uh, Legislative Affairs Committee, I think is how you say it. And she's a senior advisor. Tell me and then tell our listeners, we mentioned it before on the show, but we, I was, I was saying that, um, the president still, President Biden's still working through his nominees. And there is a nominee out there, uh, for the ATF, uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Division. Big, big job. A big, a really important job. His name is David Chipman. And this is bad news for, uh, Second Amendment, uh, believers and Second Amendment people that, that honor and respect the Second Amendment. Walk us through this gentleman and why it's so important for people to be aware. Because this is one that we can't sort of have, allow Republicans or uh, soft Democrats to have deference to their old colleague, uh, Joe Biden. They've got to stop this one. And it's tracks. You're absolutely right. And David Shipman is extremely radical. He's actually a gun control lobbyist for the Giffords group, um, which is one oh, of wow. the most extreme gun control groups in America. Yep. Even Senator Chuck Grassley last week said that putting Shipman in charge of the AT or in charge of the ATF would be like putting Antifa in charge of the Portland Police Department. So the NRA wow. is spending $2.7 to try to stop his nomination from succeeding. And I want to encourage all of your listeners to call their senators and tell them to oppose David Chipman. The vote should be in the full Senate next week. 
Okay. Well, and so is it, what are you hearing? I mean, is there, is this is where the world relies on what, uh, Susan, uh, Susan, yeah, Susan Collins and, and, uh, and Manchin. And this is where sometimes Lindsey Graham even will say, well, I used to know Joe Biden. I'll be nice. I mean, uh, what, what are you, what are the tea leaves telling you or what are you hearing? It's going to be very close. It could easily be 50, 50, um, with the vice president breaking the tie. It is we could defeat him um, or we could lose by one or two votes in the Senate. Wow. Wow. OK. Now, um, tell me about the, the 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 rest of the regulatory framework. I mean, again, you know, so much has happened in this country that um, you we, we are ruled by uh, regulations and rules. Are there other places where you're seeing appointees that are worrisome? Is the Department of Justice on the warpath? Give us some sense of what we're seeing. They all are, but I would focus back on the ATF because they will be in charge of so many regulations that impact gun owners now and in the future. They can change the regulations on ammunition and what type of ammunition is allowed. Um, They've been talking about pistol braces. The Biden administration recently put out model, quote, red flag legislation, which is really gun control bill basically, for each state to adopt. Um, So there is no lack of importance for this ATF director. And I think if we can defeat him, then we can send a very strong message to the Biden administration that they need to back off on their soul from the Second Amendment. You know, and I'm, we're, again, we're talking with uh, Eric Turgeson, and uh, there's a. I'll put it up on social media. You can find it on YouTube uh, at the NRA's channel. Um, there is an, an ad that is up uh, aimed at Senator Manchin, uh, saying to reject the gun control agenda, trying to put some pressure on there. And you know what happens? And Erica, maybe you can comment on this. Half the time now, I, mean, I bet more than that. I mean, if you can get ten people to call a senator's office, they pay attention. I, I'm not saying they don't, but the digital uh, play also gets so much attention, and their their people are watching. They're seeing it. They're checking out the action. This is a big deal um, to to know. Tell me about the ways you can influence a senator in the modern era here. Absolutely. Phone calls are the most important by far. Um, In the House, things have changed a little bit. They don't necessarily have somebody answering the phone, which is unbelievable. (laughs) But in the Senate, uh, we have actually ran ads in an unnamed senator's uh, state and the senator actually called us and asked us to please stop because he was being bombarded <laughs> with phone calls. And we said, well, we'd be happy to stop if you would be happy to stop assaulting the Second Amendment and tell us that you're not going to support the gun control bills that are currently be- being considered by the Senate. So everybody can really make a difference just by picking up the phone and calling their senators, even if you live in a liberal state. Make them accountable to you. They work for you, not the other way around. Right. Very good. Erica uh, Turgeson, last thing is tell us where people can go that want to learn more uh, to get more about this. I know YouTube, I have this video up, but I mean, what's the, there's portals and things that you put together. Direct some folks to find out more, to get to understand. You want to have the language right and understand what you're talking about. So that would be helpful, please. Absolutely. N-R-A-I-L-A. It's Institute for Legislative Action. .org or just nra.org. And I would encourage um, all of your listeners to also become members and help join the fight. Great. Thank you, Erica. We'll have you on again. Keep us on a, on a short list in terms of what you're hearing and seeing. And uh, <clears throat> pardon me, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll track it too coming in the next week or so. So thanks very much, Erica. 
Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Some people like to say that the American nuclear family is an idea from the past. Between skyrocketing divorce rates, the LGBT movement, and shack-up culture, the family unit seems to be more downtrodden than ever before. Yet no matter how many times the culture screams that marriage is an artificial construct, the words of Scripture have not changed. Similarly, the science of marriage is just as affirmative as ever. Yes, that's right. I did say science. What feminists don't want you to know is that marriage has a surprising number of benefits for your physical health. According to Harvard Medical School, married people are statistically more likely to live longer, have fewer strokes and heart attacks, survive cancer for a longer period of time, and survive major operations. These findings line up with the National Institutes of Health's 2017 report claiming that married people have lower levels of stress hormones, which likely contributes to the health benefits of marriage. Notice that these studies use the specific term married. They do not lump live-in boyfriends and girlfriends with the married folks. Clearly, there is a scientific distinction between being married and shacking up. But you won't hear these scientific findings from the mainstream media. And the numbers don't stop there, either. A study published last year found that all unmarried groups, including the cohabitating, divorced and separated, widowed and never married, had significantly higher odds of developing dementia than their married counterparts. A separate study found that married people are also less likely to suffer from depression. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that a strong spiritual and moral argument can be made for marriage. But these scientific findings from Harvard, from the National Institutes of Health, and from other sources are not rooted in the morality of the issue. They deal strictly with the observational facts. Even when you fight with the anti-marriage left on what they think is their terms, they still lose. If Americans really do want to follow the science, they should strongly support the traditional nuclear family built upon strong, healthy marriages. Scientifically, it's the healthy thing to do. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The traditional family is the building block of our communities and country. That's why it's imperative to support strong marriages, respect fathers, and champion stay-at-home moms. At phyllisschlafly.com, we oppose the liberal attempt to redefine the family. To join us, visit phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. As we wrap things up, let me talk about a few things that are happening. And I last night on the, uh, again, on the Collegian Summit, the Phyllis Schlafly Collegian Summit, 28th Annual, we had some great speakers on judges. I go back and find Mike Davis, who's been on this program before, who heads up the Article 3 Project. And you can check out uh, what he's been doing uh, and, and what he says is happening, what happened with judges and what's happening now. He did give us an update on the, um, the judge, uh, Judge Brown, who is a federal district court judge appointed under Obama. Obama was confirmed to the Court of Appeals to the Merrick Garland seat. And her initials are Judge KBJ, I forget, or KJB. 
KJB, yes, yeah, um, um, Judge, maybe Karen something, Brown, KJB. And all over uh, D.C. on the streets, there's signs saying confirm her. Well, she's confirmed. And she went to Harvard Law School. Ted Cruz talked about her. She was a year behind him in, in law school. And he said, you know, she's uh, she has no real track record to show what she thinks. But she said she's very smart and impressive in some ways. So um, that is, the, but here's where it gets interesting. She's the obvious person to fulfill Biden's uh, desire to appoint an African-American woman to the Supreme Court. That's what he promised he would do. And she is uh, a former clerk for Justice Breyer, Stephen Breyer. And in the last 48 hours, as she was confirmed, 13 groups of of, of progressives have said, time to retire Breyer. And uh, both Mike uh, Davis, who was with us, and Ted Cruz, who was with us yesterday uh, at the Collegians uh, Summit, go to Phyllis Schlafly Eagles on uh, YouTube. If you go listen, both of them said, yeah, these kinds of efforts backfire. If you're a Supreme Court justice, you don't, you, you're not used to being told by political activists, time to quit. And, um, and so both of them said they didn't think it was going to work, and they thought it was actually going to be uh, to the detriment of the effort to, ch- to replace... Um, to replace uh, the uh, uh, Justice Breyer, so we'll see what happens. But check those out. Check out that uh, that uh, th- those videos in there on this because it was really telling. And uh, the other thing that um, Mike Davis talked about was there are now serious bipartisan efforts to to rein in the tech giants based on antitrust. Bipartisan efforts meaning a law that would be passed that would be used to rein in big tech and actually get big tech to get within its constraints. Now, I kept pushing them last night saying, will it pass? Because what you have to have is the Democrats have to want it, including leadership. And I don't know why the leadership in the Democrat Party would want to do the right thing, which is to break up these uh, monopolies that are taking away speech, because the speech generally goes in their direction. It's generally positive for them. Why would they want to get rid of that? And so I'm not sure that I believe that they're going to do it. But he, went, he I asked him five different ways. He said, it's serious. It's real. There's a real chance that it passes. And uh, so watch for that. Watch for that. And he said some of the good guys are, I haven't looked at the legislation yet, but some of the good guys are um, are on board on this. All right. One last point. I'm, I'm, I know I'm talking about collegians a lot, but it was extraordinary to be with uh, Congressman Thomas Massey who is a, a, a graduate of MIT, has a master's degree there, too. And he oh, he holds 30 patents for all kinds of computer technology, artificial intelligence. And, uh, and uh, he has started and sold a couple of companies. But the funniest thing, if you go again to uh, Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, to our YouTube channel, and find the uh, video of him, the section where he's talking about his invention, he lives on a, on a, on a farm in Kentucky. And the whole house is off the grid. He uses a, a Tesla battery that's reconfigured and, and he uses solar. And anyway, so he's, he's, I've known that for years. In the last couple of years, he, they have chickens. And when he's away in Congress, or his wife is away too, they, how do you feed the chickens? You gotta get your neighbor to come over and all. So he's invented what he calls the Klux capacitor, Klux capacitor. And it's a moving chicken coop that's on wheels. And it's operated by solar power and the, and the rainwater is gathered. And so you have inside of this cage chickens 
And every couple of uh, hours, it moves a few feet so the chickens get new grass to eat and they get to a new area and it moves around your yard and it's all completely independent, independently operated and doesn't need anything uh, to keep to work. Pretty extraordinary. And so the Klux capacitor, go find that. It's worth seeing. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to get him to do a video just on that because it was extraordinary to hear him talk about it. He's a real character and uh, talking about patents and the importance of the pat, importance of the patent system for making America work so well and the envy of the world. So, all right, everybody, I got to run now. Thank you, as always, to our great technical director, Noah, for the great job he does to keep everything online, our producer, actually, and Joanna for booking all our guests, and we will be back tomorrow. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign up there for the Daily Wink. We'll be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego.